The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I got I'm Bill and my friends. I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Now. Now, people are finally starting to realize that the Federal Reserve may be able to tame inflation. Suddenly, the endless haters want to climb on board the J-Pal bandwagon. That's how we got another good session. Dow gaining 240 points, S&P advancing 0.19%. NASDAQ edge down 0.19%, but it was down a lot more earlier. All day after the good numbers from Home Depot and Walmart, Along with the slowing of housing starts, I heard these market sages talk about how it's possible Powell might really actually be able to navigate a soft landing. Oh, these were the critics who said it could never happen. What a bunch of obtuse thinkers. Where the heck have they been in the last five weeks? We just had a stunning rally based on all the things they're acting on now. And now they believe in a soft landing? Thanks for nothing. What did it take? Well, the peak in oil nearly $40 ago. Was that it? The incredible decline in rates? Maybe the decline in the average in a bear market territory two months ago? Nope, it's the rebound that got them to come around. Thanks. Look, I don't blame anyone who now recognizes that inflation's peak, better late than never. But it rubs me the wrong way when these Johnny-come-lately see Home Depot and Walmart deliver good numbers and then give you the all-clear. Who needs that? What value is that? I can read those releases, too. Yes, these are two of the best retailers on earth. They both got it right. They easily could have gotten it wrong, given the newly mercurial nature of the consumer, both of which they mentioned. What matters, though, is that they're price cutters, especially Walmart. In many ways, these are big box stories. They're laboratories of deflation. Aisle by aisle, they offer a lower-priced product that's just as good as the branded stuff. Aisle by aisle. They're also selling more cheap food products. Walmart mentioned that hot dogs are selling over expensive steaks. And Walmart's big enough that they can actually hold the line on inflation and help the Fed. Yes, they are that big. Home Depot and Walmart talk about how the supply chain issues that bedeviled them. Well, now they're lessening. They're still there, but they're lessening. They're still hurting the consumer, but less so. And that, too, is a good story. 
Home Depot sales got better as the quarter went on. It's called the cadence, giant leap in July. Those sales can be deflationary when they're do-it-yourself, DIY, because the DIY remodelers, rather than contractors, cost less. And if there was a lot of do-it-yourself this quarter, then it's big. Hey, by the way, tomorrow, the king of do-it-yourself lows reports. Let's see. But what matters the most and what just shocks me that these people refuse to recognize is the peak in gasoline. It's all over these numbers. The price at the pump was strangling the life out of the consumer spending. Now that gasoline's back below $4 a gallon, consumer spending can go higher again without causing ruinous inflation. Don't tell me that natural gas is still expensive. That's just an alibi for the people who got it wrong and set out last month's rally and are trying to make excuses. Of all the mistakes these know-it-all bears made, the worst was their inability to believe that oil could come down while Russia's still invading Ukraine. They bet the farm on the idea that no civilized nation would take Russian crude. Incredibly naive. They didn't think of China. Eh, maybe. But they certainly didn't think of India. Yeah. See, they're getting it on the cheap in India, and they're not caring about what happens to Ukraine. Once that happened, the bears should have just switched directions because it meant gas prices were coming back down, and then consumers would indeed have that extra money. Remember, it's just a tax. Right. I mean, like if you're spending five dollars per gallon instead of four, well, that means there's a dollar less that's going to Walmart or, 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 or to Home Depot. Now, gasoline was the linchpin in getting inflation under control. And now it's going the Fed's way. Yet the people who believe in peak inflation seem to catch the most criticism. Yeah, I mean, like me, even as the evidence is crystal clear. Why? Because there's a huge number of hedge funds who got caught short or underinvested. So they desperately needed to talk down the market in order to do some buying. A lot of the rallies you've seen in the companies that are less profitable are short squeezes. Now, it is truly revelatory to go through the Home Depot and Walmart conference calls because they show you that while the consumer's gotten more cherry, she hasn't disappeared. And that is the true sign of a soft landing. You want the consumer to pull back so retailers have an inventory glut. And then when you have an inventory glut, what do they do? They have to cut prices. <laughs> Deflationary. And that's what's going to happen to Walmart with its excess inventory on the conference call. They said it. That's great for Jay Powell. <laughs> and according to Home Depot, you have the consumer doing more do-it-yourself work on the homes, also deflationary, because they're not paying up for professionals. At the same time, we now know that the work-from-home shift is alive and well. You can tell that from the ancillary plays like Williams-Sonoma, RH, Macy's, which rally huge because the consumer isn't falling off a cliff. CNBC.com today ran a terrific story about how Apple's ordering people back to work. The most severe I've seen of this back-to-work group. But when, when you look at the fine print, it's only three days a week. So that is still all about staying home. Hey, let's refurbish that. It's for real. I think these stocks all have room to run. Oh, and when I ran my hedge fund, by the way, I demanded that you work six days a week. And I would throw a water bottle at you if you didn't play by the rules. Some called me old school. Yep, I like a lot of these beating down retailers. But oh, by the way, one I wouldn't chase uh, is this Main Street bet thing called Bed Bath & Beyond. Because that thing's up more than 300% uh, month to date after another big game today, and the company desperately needs to raise money. Now, this is what I call manufacturer short squeeze. A bunch of people get together and manipulate the stock up, but of course you're not allowed to really say that, but I just did. Uh, it can be self-fulfillingly positive, uh, but only if CEO Sue Gove, she's the CEO of, of uh, Bed Bath, convenes the board and agrees to sell 20 million shares in an offering, something that would assure her vendors that Bed Bath can pay for holiday merchandise. She can get a great price here because nearly 50% of the float is sold short, and these shorts are eager to buy so they can exit their positions at a loss. 
If she doesn't offer the stock, it means she can't read a balance sheet. That, or maybe there's a hostage situation. This is just a slam dunk of which I never use that term to do a secondary offering here. And she should do it tonight or tomorrow or else I question the company's viability. So what happens now when we get this bull up, as the hedge fund managers like to say, after an extended run like this? Well, you know what happens to the market? I'll tell you what happens to the market. It tends to go down. The bandwagon is usually perilous for a bit when you jump on a month late. Once so many mediums and small-sized companies have already turned up. And we're starting to see lots of money-losing tech uh, stocks starting to rally. You know what I say about those? For example, it's tough for the retailers to rally a second day on top of this one. Can tomorrow retailer numbers really be as good as today's? And every retailer stock went up. I don't think so. And I think that oil prices tend to bounce at $85. So I'd be a trader, if not a scalper, of the oil stocks here. Bye, bye, bye. But the main takeaway is that the people who got out when the averages were down 20% for the year and the 10-year had shot to a 3.5% yield and we were hearing constantly about $300 oil, now they're coming back in after months, two months worth of rally, especially from the June bottom. Now they're coming in. These fair-weather bulls who are... Oh, who all believed we were headed for a severe recession two months ago and were just calling pal adult, are now rushing to declare a soft landing way too soon. Listen, I believe in the possibility of a soft landing, but the Fed still has a lot of work to do. For example, we had much weaker than expected housing starts this morning, but Home Depot swore up and down that there was no slowdown whatsoever in housing. We need rents to come down, too, and that's not happening. We have no relief whatsoever when it comes to wage inflation, and that's not going to be solved by people going back into the office. The Fed needs to see more outfits get squeezed to the point where they have to fire people. Sadly, it's true. Still, the bottom line is you never should have gotten off the J-PAL bandwagon in the first place. And you know I've been saying that all along. I know it's been hard to stay the course. Strap yourself to the mask. But the people who didn't stay the course are now terrified because they missed out on a gigantic move and badly need to another one to occur to get back in the performance game. All I can say to you is, why did you feel you had to sell in the first place? Let's go to Rashil in Arizona. Rashil! Hey, Jim, how are you? What's your favorite cereal? Cereal? Yeah, cereal. I like cereal. What, a stock? Yeah, so do I. I got a lot of cereal on my mind. I'm long on General Mills stock. Oh, General Mills. I was looking. I was in the supermarket today. I was in the supermarket today. Not the way Dr. Oz was in with the crudite powder uh, plate. I might have taken a pass on that. Um, But actually, in in the cereal aisle, and I got to tell you, no discounts right there. None of that BOGO, which is buy one, get one. They are paying full price for the General Mills cereals, and I say, All right, you never should have gotten off the J-PAL bandwagon. I told you a million times. You made fun of me. I didn't care. I was just like Carrie in that seminal Stephen King work. Ha-ha! I made money today. With the market growing some legs, should you be in a shoe company called On Holding? No, not On Semiconductor! On Holding! I'm sitting down with the company stop press. Then we're two months into this rally, so is it time to rethink your investing strategy? I'll give you my take. And Sonova fell today after Monster Roy. So is today's pullback a buying opportunity? I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Since late last year, I've been warning you away from almost all the recent IPOs, most of which got obliterated the first half of the year. But with the market's rebound over the last couple of months, many of these new issues are actually showing signs of life. Take On Holding. That's a Swiss footwear and apparel company best known for its increasingly popular running shoes. When we covered this one last fall, I told you I liked the stock, but it was a little too high. I was at 30 bucks at the time. Sure enough, it pulled back to a low of $16 last month before bouncing back to $24 today. But i got to say, I've been impressed with the results from one holding, including the great quarter they reported this very morning. The company turned in a clean top and bottom line, beat how nice that is for one of these IPOs they almost all miss. Management also raising their full-year forecast. That's highly unusual. Yet after initial rally, the stock actually reversed and finished the day down slightly. I'm wondering if this isn't the buying opportunity we have all waiting for it. The sellers don't know anything. So let's take a closer look with Martin Hoffman. He's the co-CEO and CFO of One Holding. And Mark Maurer, he's the fellow co-CEO. Gentlemen, welcome to Mad Money. Welcome. Thank you, you so much for having us. Oh, absolutely. I'm thrilled. Okay, Mark, I want to start with you. Uh, I, we're going to get to the numbers in a second, but I want you to tell people about the brand. A lot of people feel in our country that, uh, look, I'm going to use my wife as an example. She pays $120 per pair. She has 10 pairs, and she's not a runner. And when I told her that they're running shoes, she said, no, they're not. They're fashion shoes. 
So explain to people how a running shoe could actually be confused with fashion, which is really helping sales. Yeah, and I think, you know, your wife is a perfect example because we started as a running brand and it was all about performance and it still is about performance. It is about design. So our products don't just feel great, they also look great. And then it's about sustainability. And so in the end, performance can come in many different ways. So when we're currently uh, watching or we were watching the, uh, the World Athletics Championships in Eugene, we're seeing on athletes winning medals in our fastest product. And then we're watching your wife on the street in our product. And she, you know, she feels better than ever before because performance means comfort for her. And uh, this is how, how we're bringing the product to many different people for uh, many different use cases. Well, I do think uh, that it's still relatively unknown. It's got a lot of room to run. So, Martin, let me ask you uh, about the quarter. If it weren't for air freight, this would have been one of the great blowout quarters of all the new IPOs. Where are you in terms of getting it so the gross margins go up? And tell us a little about the quarter, because it was pretty great. It was the best quarter in the history of, of ON. Uh, another 60-70% growth, uh, very similar to the growth rate that we also had in the in the first quarter. Uh, so we are well above 500 million now for the first half year in, in sales. And uh, yeah, if you remember back in uh, late last year, a lot of factories had to close in, in Vietnam and we we're still uh, seeing the impact of that. So we had to air freight a lot of product in order to uh, get the, the products to the customers and to meet the demand that we have been seeing uh, all around the world. And uh, we decided to use that. Um, but now uh, basically the situation is, is, has much more improved. We have a very uh, good inventory position. And so for the next quarter, but then uh, especially for, for the fourth quarter, you should see the full uh, gross margin coming uh, coming into place, which which we see at around 60% is where we see the gross margin for, for our business. Well, that would be uh, a defining one of the better gross margins we've seen of the new companies. Uh, Martin, do you think that uh, you will have enough product? You have a lot of new things coming. You have Jack is coming. CloudTech, will you be able to have enough product in America for the holiday season? The smartest people in Auden work in, in supply chain, so they make sure that we that we have enough product at the right place at the right time. Um, of course, demand is super high, but we, we also have a lot of levers to control this, and we feel scarcity is, is good because scarcity ensures premiumness and Auden is a premium brand, and uh, that, that just creates desire, and, and ultimately that's that's what we want to have. Okay, so, uh, Mark, you mentioned something that is incredibly important to particularly younger people, but almost everybody in America and around the world, sustainability. Uh, I don't know whether people realize that you care because the fashion's so great and the performance's so great, but sustainability is core to your belief in the company. Yeah, very much so. You know, we in the end, we started this company because we felt we want to run in nature and we want to move in nature. And... We felt we had a product that that gave us a very special feeling there. And so we want to make sure we, we keep the play around what it is. And this is why sustainability is so unbelievably important to us, to, to our kids. And we want to change um, what the industry is currently doing. We're very much focusing on three elements. One is materials. The other one is CO2 reduction. And the third one is circularity. And I think you're seeing that um, come to life in, in many of our products. So, for example, we just launched the Cloud Neo which comes in a subscription model. So you never own the shoe. You get it, you run it, or you walk in it. You send it back, we shred it, we make a new product out of it. And it's so it's the first um, completely circular product in the industry that comes in a subscription model. Well, let me follow up on that, Martin. Uh, how many people know that? 
uh, because I think that the more people know that, the more people would buy your sneakers or, or shoes over anybody else. I mean, we, we hope after this interview, even more people know it. So, uh, but, you know, um, we, we're quite happy with the, with the initial subscriber uptake that we've seen across the globe. Um, the U.S. was the first market um, to receive the product. So we shipped the first 3,000 pairs, which is still a very small number um, for the very beginning. But then and this is really also uh, a big, big experiment on a large scale that, that we're doing. And we're seeing very positive resonance from consumers. They love the product, super positive feedback. This is what was very important to us. And that's the journey we're continuing. And in the end, we want to um, have sustainability, shouldn't compromise on performance. It should actually even enhance it. And, and I think that was very important to us with the Cloud Neo. And this is what, what consumers are telling us. It's exactly what it's happening. And, and then, Martin, one of the things that on the conference call I absolutely love, you actually said, listen, we want scarcity. Now, I know that one of the successes of Nike is that they sell them on different exchanges because they're scarce. How do you engineer scarcity? How do you know that you have just enough in the channel for people who want it, but not any more, which would make it so there's a glut. I think important is we, we built a lot of pillars for growth very early on. So On is a, is a global brand. We're in 60 countries. Um, Mark mentioned we, we started with running. We have products in outdoor and in, in lifestyle. Uh, we have footwear. We have apparel. Uh, you, you can buy us in, in some of the best retail stores, uh, but also online and, and more and more also in our own retail stores. And so there's a lot of uh, opportunities for us to grow and we don't need to chase one opportunity. And this gives us a lot of control about our, our growth, a lot of opportunity. And, and therefore, um, as I said, with, with the right planning, we, we, can, we can engineer to a certain extent the, the scarcity. But of course, product is key and uh, that needs to resonate with the customer and uh, the, the engine, uh, innovation level needs to be high, that the shoe needs to look good. Um, and and that's, a, that's a prerequisite. Well, I got to tell you, when I hand it to you guys, you know, this is the first of the IPOs that I thought that maybe should be in the bullpen for my travel trust. You just have a very, very strong story. I want to thank Martin Hoffman, the co-CEO and CFO of On Holding, and co-CEO Mark Maurer. What a story, guys. And you're not buying it to high. You are buying the highest growth fashion story and sports story that I know. Man, money's back in for break. Coming up, why not the long face? Is this rally a reality? Find out from Kramer next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card.
Two months ago, the market bottomed. And since then, it has come back with a vengeance. Dow now up 15% in the lows in mid-June. S&P up more than 18%. NASDAQ jumped 24%. After a horrifying first half of the year, the house of pain. I don't want to take this recent run for granted. Like I've told members of the CNBC Investing Club, hardly any commentators or strategists saw this one coming in June when the pain was at its absolute worst. You got to think of this rally as a reward for anyone who had the intestinal fortitude to stay the course, even when things look bleak. And I think almost all investing club members did. House of pleasure. We've gotten some great feedback and I want to thank you so much. But now we're two months in. So tonight I want to take a moment to reflect on what's driving this move and how you should position yourself and your portfolio going forward if the stock market starts going back down a bit. So let's start with why this rally happened in the first place. And this is very important. We've got to give you the underpinnings. First, long-term interest rates, the ones that are set by the bond market itself, well, they peaked in mid-June, almost exactly when the stock market bottomed. Yeah, well, yeah, the stock's bottomed because the larger bond market stopped going down and rates stopped going up. The yield on the benchmark 10-year Treasury topped out just a hair under 3.5% on June 14th, and it's pulled back significantly since then. It's down to just 2.8% today. But when they were spiking, everyone was telling you they're going to go to four. This decline in longer-term rates set the stage for a fabulous rally in higher-risk growth stocks that are dependent on future earnings streams. Low rates are terrific for these stocks, while high rates crush them like we saw in the first half. I'm talking about the stocks that don't earn a lot of money. Those stocks can fly. Second, commodity prices have absolutely collapsed. This started with some stunning pullbacks in June for most commodities. It's only gotten more extreme since then. One of the last holdups was energy, but even the price of oil has plunged from $123 and change in mid-June to around $86 today. Sky-high commodity costs have been eating us alive, and these declines show that the Fed's winning the war against inflation, although it just seemed today to dawn on people. Part and parcel of the economy collapse, I guess. The U.S. dollar peaked just over a month ago. While it's still up significantly year over year, the fact that it stopped rising is a huge relief to American companies that do a lot of business overseas. It's been the ultimate headwind leading to giant estimate cuts, which have made people fearful of international stocks. Third, peak inflation. Now, I started predicting this in June when so many commodities rolled over. But then we got a red-hot July consumer price index number that freaked people out. That didn't stop stocks from rallying because Wall Street figured it would be the peak for inflation. That was the top. Sure enough, last Wednesday, we finally got a cooler uh, than expected CPI, uh, which means the Fed might not have to tighten as aggressively as some thought. That said, I will tell you that Powell's not done tightening because we still got powerful wage and rent inflation, and those are very important. Fourth, a couple of months ago, everybody was talking about how the Fed would have to engineer a recession in order to stamp out inflation, maybe a severe one. But... Now people are coming around the idea that it might turn out to be a mild recession because the Fed's already made real progress in its fight against inflation. And the labor market remains, uh, it, it does, let's say, incredibly resilient. In other words, he's not kicking everybody out of their jobs. Finally, beyond the p- big picture macro commentary, at the end of the day, stock prices reflect the fundamentals of individual companies. And over the past several weeks of earnings season, we found out that a lot of companies are doing surprisingly well. Even Walmart managed to deliver an upside surprise. Remember, they missed twice. Yeah, they had two fumbles. Of course, we see 
that the markets also got much more forgiving. I mean, let's take the example of Micron, okay? Now, they reported a weak quarter in late June. They got, then hit us with a guide down earlier this month. Yet the stock's now up more than 20% from July lows as part of a broader tech resurgence. And that's what's been driving this rally. So now we have to ask, who are the biggest winners? Because this is incredibly revealing, and you might not have thought it. Well, surprisingly, when you look at the data, the consumer discretionary stocks, which were so hated because no one buys those stocks in a recession, right? Well, they've been the best performers the last two months, despite all the hand-wringing about consumer spending. While there are some truly weak categories like a power or big-ticket electronics, I think the consumers simply shifted their spending to experiences and services rather than stuff. Plus, gasoline prices have come down substantially, giving people more spending money. Perhaps most important, the consumer packaged goods plays have all put through big price increases, and now their costs are coming down. So the margins are about to explode higher. Hence why General Mills or PepsiCo be up on that 52-week high list all the time. Now, tech was the next best performer, largely because they got so hard hit from November through mid-June, creating some attractive opportunities. And also because the whole group became more attractive when long-term rates started coming down. The utilities and the real estate investment trust did well, too. These are high-yielding stocks that compete directly with bonds. So lower bond yields send their share prices higher. Next, it was the financials. <clears throat> this is a great group right here. And industrials, they were up mid to high double digits because Wall Street now assumes we're headed for a mild recession, not a severe one. Both groups have economic sensitivity. Remember, in a soft landing, short rates stay high, so banks can make a ton of money off your deposits simply by investing them in short-term treasury rates risk-free and do the arbitrage. But really, the only group that's, that, that's down over the last two months is energy. And that's because oil and natural gas prices have finally come down hard because there's a glut. Even energy is only down about 1%, though. And after roaring for most of the first half, I'd say they were due for a breather. Unfortunately, some of the most speculative categories have also come back to life. Recent IPOs, as represented by the uh, Renaissance IPO ETF, are up more than 30% for the bottom. Even the more former SPAC plays are getting some love. The CNBC post-SPAC index is up 33% from its lows. 33. Meanwhile, the cloud uh, software ETFs have jumped 25 to 30% over the same period. Goldman Sachs' non-profitable tech index is up 35%. These are all too high. Kathleen Wood's ARK Innovation ETF poster child for high-risk tech stocks has now gained 37%. <laughs> Meanwhile, the alternative energy complex also got a new lease. Uh, although at least here the fundamentals have changed because Congress just passed some huge subsidi- subsidiary, um, subsidies for renewables, and we know the president signed that into law today. When you look at some of these gains, I think, frankly, they're unbelievable. I mean, I was shocked. This first one, for instance, I, was, I read a piece this morning of research, I think it was true, saying, hey, we're surprised by how well, but that's doing well. I said, oh, my God, it's up 75%. Enphase Energy, which helps convert solar power into electricity, up 72%. That's an obvious uh, mansion bill. Even some huge co- uh, companies have soared, including Amazon, up 40% in just two months. Now, that was right in front of your face. So now that we're two months into this rebound, how do you adjust? Now, I'm still bullish in the overall market. Because I believe in the peak inflation thesis, which means the Fed doesn't need to tighten as aggressively as three-quarter, three-quarter going forward. But I got to tell you, I've been riding these speculative rallies. Uh, if, if you've been riding the speculative rallies, if you've been in the stocks of companies that aren't making money, okay, listen, it's time. I want you to swap into the kind of boring stocks that thrive in a mild recession. Just because the Fed can be less aggressive, that doesn't mean they'll stop tightening entirely. In fact, 
The more the stock market rallies, the more likely it is that Jay Powell will have to lower the boom on us again. But the most important takeaway is you can be lured in by the siren song of speculation. We've seen explosive moves in stocks that simply don't deserve them, like Bed Bath & Beyond or Getty Images, not to mention a host of micro-cap foreign IPOs that seem to magically multiply in price. This is the stuff that happens at the end of a rally, not the beginning. Bottom line, while I'm feeling much better about this market now that inflation's peaked, it's time to take profits in the most speculative stocks in your portfolio and move that money into something more resilient. Forget the SPACs and the recent IPOs unless they're profitable. A mild recession is still a recession. You need to be in quality, not the fanciful, the quick, and the dead. Joel in Florida. Joel! Hi, Jim. Joel, what's up? Well, some years back, with your sagacious advice, and that's the word I can't use with most advisors, and after, as you suggest, I did my homework. I bought a lot of Skyworks Solutions stock at $6 a share. Years later, I called to thank you, and with your agreement, I took some big profits off the table when the stock hit $100 a share, and then a kind of celestial $200 a share. I'm very happy with that result. However, now that Skyworks has retreated to about, I think it's around $100 a share, do I invest more, sell my remaining shares, or stay the course to keep playing with the house's money, because I'm reminded when the man was asked how he got rich, he said he sold too soon. Yeah, Joel, I got to tell you, I think you got to play with the house's money. You know, why am I not more bullish about it? Because it started at the bottom, and because the one area that's weakest in the whole tech complex, uh, it, other than PCs, is that low-end cell phones, and Skyworks has a lot of exposure to that. So I think it's better off just let it ride. Okay, now I'm feeling much better about the market since inflation's peak. But it's time to take profits on your most speculative names and move into something more resilient. All right, much more made money at, including my exclusive with Sonova. With solar stocks running, could the light continue to shine on Sonova? I'm checking with the CEO. Then Wall Street seems to think that what's bad for China is what's bad for the U.S. But is that true? I'm going to give you my take. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Today, President Biden signed the inaptly named Inflation Reduction Act into law, not to be confused with the other IRA. This is really a climate change, health care costs and tax reform bill. Tons of money for green energy companies, and we haven't looked into that. So what's worth owning in this space? Hey, how about Sonova Energy International, which does residential solar and battery storage here in the U.S.? These guys are the number two player by market share with nearly 100% sales growth expected just this year. But the company's still losing money on an earnings basis, and that's unlikely to change over the next couple of years. Plus, the stock has been clobbered, sinking from $46 last fall to $12 and change in its lows since May. Since then, Sonova's come roaring back with the other speculative plays, although it got hammered today down 11% after announcing a big convertible note offering last night. Still, the stock's more than doubled from its lows, and that's kind of attractive to me. So what do we do here? Let's, why don't we check with John Berger? He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Sonova Energy International. Get a better read on where his company's headed. Mr. Berger, welcome to Man Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Okay, so, John, we just had a historic signing literally just a couple of hours ago, and it was very exciting and chilling for some of us who really want to, to fight climate change very much. What does it do for your company? Well, for the industry, for the first time in history, 
We now have certainty as investors look at the, the broader solar industry, batteries, clean energy, with the investment tax credit now for 10 years. And we've never had that level of certainty. We've always ridden this roller coaster, if you will, if the tax credit is going to be extended or not. And they even expanded the tax credits. The second thing is we've had a lot of problems with the trade war, geopolitical tensions with China in particular. And this bill brings the manufacturing of solar panels, batteries, and other gear here to the United States, creating jobs and, and giving, again, more certainty to investors in the overall sector. Third, this expands into the disadvantaged communities that really have been not able to access solar as a service as, as much as they would like to, of course. And this really opens the doors for further growth for the industry and further access to folks who really need to save money, given these very high utility bills that keep, seem to keep getting even higher as we go through month after month. Okay, so explain to me why financing comes into play, because you do have a huge finance arm, because it would seem like, wow, the payback's pretty quickly. Now you got the investment tax credit. Why do I need financing? But it seems to be above the means of most people. It is, Jim. And when you look at solar only, you're talking about roughly on average about $36,000 to cover uh, a normal home. You had a couple of batteries on there. You're up into the $50,000 range. But now you take 30% or more, maybe 40%, maybe 50%, depending upon the type of credit that you qualify for off that. But that's still a big chunk of money for, for everybody. And so when you look at the ability to get financing, uh, we are an energy as a service provider. We're there to provide energy at a lower cost, typically roughly about 20% off bills, though that spread is, is definitely climbing. And if you had signed up a few years ago, you're really saving a lot of money given $9 natural gas, oil's you know 90 bucks or so a barrel, and coal's even higher out there. So when you look at the savings, it really pays for itself immediately, but that's still a big ticket. And so we provide some financing for folks, whatever they want to, how they ever want to finance it, but we do provide that off our balance sheet. And of course, that's a source of profitability for us as well as a service, but our core business is service and making sure that power flows. If something goes wrong, we're rolling a truck, we're fixing it, getting you back online, just like a, a, your monopoly power utility does uh, every day. All right. Now, I, throughout your uh, different filings, you talk about the triple, double, triple plan. What do I get if I, if I pick that plan? Well, that's our, our forward guidance we've had out there for a long period of time. Uh, if you go back to our second quarter, we had about 225,000 customers across the United States, ranging from Guam, Saipan, all the way through uh, Hawaii, California, Texas, Puerto Rico, and the Northeast, about uh, around 40 U.S. states and territories, and we're obviously been expanding uh, quite nicely. But when you look at the, you know, the doubling uh, at that point in time, we had set the plan up, getting to about 400,000 customers next year. And then looking at our, our adjusted EBITDA, we've been moving that up uh, quite nicely as well per this plan and, and our cash flows. So it's our, our long-term plan that we feel, uh, as we said in the second quarter call, uh, we felt uh, pretty good and, and on track for. All right, so John, when people heard that you were on tonight, a lot of people were very excited, obviously, about the bill signing. But one person said you should ask him about all the stock he sold because it seemed like uh, last week, because if the company's such a good story, why would he sell any stock? Obviously, you're on the show, so everything's fair game. Um, was there a reason why you let go of so much stock? Well, it's just a small portion of my holdings, and I founded the company over 10 years ago. And uh, it, it's something at some point in time you, you do need to take some proceeds. I still have a very large uh, ownership in the company and, uh, you know, main, and, and look to uh, have a long-term 
a relationship and build this company up into something uh, much larger than when we are today. Okay, now you've got Sunrun, you've got SunPower, you've got Tesla. Could you tell us why, uh, give us the Sonova pitch versus the other guys if I'm a homeowner? Well, at Sonova, we're focused only on being the service provider. So we're taking in on our software platform, all the different manufacturers, some of which you just mentioned, and we're making those hardware pieces, the solar panels, the batteries, the EV chargers, putting all those together and making that work uh, seamlessly at your house. And then when it doesn't work, things break, right, Jim? And we're out there making sure it's fixed. If we can't fix it remotely on the phone, and we're handling all the billing, all the contract transfer when you uh, sell your house. And so it's more about providing a service as a kind of a wireless power company is the way to think about it. And we're able to go out and source the best hardware in the entire world. And we do have those relationships giving our scale to bring the best equipment and make sure that it all works together seamlessly at your house, to provide that clean, cheaper power. Well, look, I think you're the future. I think that the current system, the way we have it now, is the past. Uh, and this, uh, the act that was signed into law today certainly solidifies that. That's John Berger, Chairman, President, and CEO of Sonova, one of the big three of the companies that make sure that you can change the way you lead your life with power at home. They have money's back into the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. The lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round because it's over with Gary in Texas. Gary! Booyah, Jim. Long time. Booyah. First time caller. Excellent. My stock is QDEL. It hit a 52-week low last week. Is it time to get back in after ringing the register it's during the pandemic? It's a profitable company that does very important things in, in uh, healthcare. I'm going to say yes. This is a good level. Let's go to Amher in New Jersey. Amher. Hello, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I'm of course. What's up? Okay, so what are your thoughts on the OT Dental Petroleum, ticker OXY? Okay, so I, I, I query why Occidental, which is obviously Warren Buffett's favorite, when we can own something like a debit, where I just talked to Rusty Brazil about it today from RBN. It's just doing everything right with a big yield and got very good growth. That's the way to go. Much more conservatively managed and owned by our charitable trust. Let's go to Josh in Arkansas. Josh. Jim, thank you so Josh. much for taking my call. Best part of, of my course. day is waking up, listening to what your take on the market is going to be for the day. And oh, uh, just an absolutely honor to speak with you. My stock, I made, uh, I've doubled my money on the last couple of years. A train technology stock symbol, TT. Oh, like I like train very much, but I'm going to ask you to get off that train and go to the love train, which is Carrier C. Which I think is less expensive and got a lot more upside. We're not done. We're going right now to Susan in Florida. Susan! Hi, Jim. We are longtime viewers who really enjoy your show. I own shares of Stanley Black & Decker, and right now it is 20% below our cost basis. We don't care, Susan, where stock's been. We care where it's going to. Stanley works as a minute. Stanley Black & Decker's had a very tough time. If you're willing to wait two quarters, 
I think you pulled too much now. 10% downside, maybe 35% upside. It's a mess right now, though. How about Craig in California? Craig. Booyah, the ski daddy swami of the stock market, the guru swami. of games. I always wanted to be a swami. Day. I want to be a fantasy football swami, too. What's going on? I've uh, been uh, on the back of genuine parts hitting all-time, 52-week high. I've been looking into a stock. Trades at a decent multiple, about 13, 14. Decent dividend. Solid EPS beats the last couple quarters. Uh, it is nearing a 52-week high. Uh, did I miss the boat on LKQ? Will like kind quality be kindly to my portfolio? Wow, you got the real name for it. Okay, I think that you, I mean, reluctantly have to say that you haven't missed the boat because it's only 14 times earnings. Bye, Lightning round! The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Somehow, Wall Street's under the impression that what's bad for China is always bad for the United States. It's just not true. Putting aside the fact that China's our number one geopolitical rival, if not an outright enemy, the connections between their economy and our economy are much less direct than you might think. So let's go through this. Lately, the Chinese government's made a series of jarring errors. In a democracy, they'd be fatal errors. They got a collapse in the housing market after years of severe overbuilding and a collapse in exports because of their foolish zero COVID policy shut down so much manufacturing. China would be in much better shape if they just buy mRNA vaccines from us or from Germany. But their government insists on using homegrown stuff that's just not as effective. So now they more or less lock down millions of people anytime there's one outbreak, which I would say is suboptimal, to say the least. Now, China's economy has stalled. And when Wall Street tends to behave like that's bad news for our stock market, I need you to think again. Unless you work for a company with a lot of Chinese business, you should want their economy to stumble. You should want it so bad that President Xi has to ride off into the sunset. He's not our friend. And you know that was actually a possibility until Speaker Pelosi showed up in Taiwan foreign policy into her hands, which caused the hardliners in the Chinese Communist Party to stick with Xi, despite the widespread discontent. Again, my beef is not with the Chinese people, but with their authoritarian government, which loves religious persecution and despoiling the planet. And it's some very unsavory allies. Chinese oil purchases are basically bankrolling Russia's invasion of Ukraine. But let's get back to the economic connection. We all know that China massively overbuilt residential real estate. Now there are 21 developers that have gone belly up. They can't get their economy going in. By some measure, it's growing even more slowly than ours. Who would have ever thought that? Now, you might think that bad news for America, that's all bad news for America. And that's what the futures indicate. Every morning I get up, you know, I can't sleep. I get up at 3.30, I get up at 4 o'clock. The futures are always down if China's down. I cannot tell you how stupid that linkage is. You know, it's actually a good thing. It's a good thing because the slowdown in China can crush inflation. And, you know, that's the enemy of our stocks, inflation. For decades, the Chinese were the marginal buyers for all sorts of raw materials, copper, aluminum, steel, and most important, oil. They won't bid that stuff up if their economy's hobbled. That's great for us. Great for Jay Powell. 
Yes, we have a bunch of companies that need a healthy China to make their numbers. Think Apple, Nike, Starbucks, or the consumer packaged goods place. But that business was already fraught, given the tempers are flaring over Taiwan. For the most part, though, the Chinese government has been very resistant to foreign companies coming in and doing lots of business. They like to import raw materials and export finished goods. Apple, Nike, and Starbucks make things in China for China. So the government doesn't crack down on them because it's a cut-off-your-nose-to-spite-your-face situation. That means China's weakness doesn't really spill over to us. This is not Europe, where the banking system is intertwined with ours through 20% of their, 25% of their business with China. We don't catch a cold when China sneezes. We take market share. So can we please stop selling our stock market, particularly in the early morning, on Chinese weakness? Instead, you should be buying our stocks. Right now, we're worried about inflation. A slowing China can be the most powerful deflationary force in the entire world. If we had no inflation and no growth, then it would be a different story. But that's not the current situation. If the Chinese government can shoot itself in the foot repeatedly, that's a win for both the U.S. economy and global democracy. And I say, don't you dare overthink it. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.